Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good afternoon. My name is Brian Topher, Principal Architect of Topher Architecture, and you are listening to New Books Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network dedicated to architecture and its publications. If you have any suggestions on authors who you would love to hear me speak with next, feel free to send me an email at btopher at topherarchitecture.com. Now, today's guest is Francoise Balak to talk about her book, Materials Transfer, Metaphor, Craft, and Place in Contemporary Architecture. Francoise is the principal architect of Francoise Balak Architects. She is also an associate professor of historic preservation in Columbia University's Graduate School of Architecture Planning and Preservation. Thank you very much for being here with me today and talking with us. Welcome to the show. Um, Thank you, my pleasure. Now, before we begin, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Oh, well, yes, I can. Um, I uh, was educated, I was, I'm, I was born in France, in Paris. Um, I was educated um, at the Ecole Spéciale d'Architecture. I'm an architect. Uh, and after I graduated, um, I decided to see the world and I came to New York. And, and I stayed um, and, uh, and I've been working in New York since 1970. What's interesting about, you know, being educated in architecture um, in the 60s is that, you know, we were educated in a strict modernist doctrine. Yes, yes. So what's interesting about being educated in architecture in the 60s is that we were educated in a strict modernist uh, theory. In other words, uh, you know, history didn't exist anymore. We were going to afford, you know, new ground. Uh, and, and we were not looking back. And I've been sort of dealing with this my whole career uh, and dealing with the fact that, um, you know, history does matter and, and reconciling these two visions. One which is that modernity is in fact a great forward-looking thing, but at the same time, it's not the only thing. So a lot of my work, um, both as an architect uh, and as a writer, uh, tries to to bridge this sort of divide, um, and and this is what this book is trying to do. Great, and that's a perfect segue kind of into the beginning of the book. So right in the introduction, there's a quote that I'm going to read out, and it's, the phenomenon of imitation of older buildings is usually associated with people who are s- sterile of ideas, and I did paraphrase that a little bit. And so, again, I know I hate to summarize books in one sentence, but it's very clear that materiality is a big focus of this book. And so we're going to go into it much more detail, but could you maybe really quickly elaborate and summarize on this idea of materials transfer? Well, well, the title of the book is Material Transfers, um, Metaphor, Craft, and Place in Contemporary Architecture. And And in a nutshell, the subject of the book is the creative possibilities of imitation uh, replication, duplication, um, and recall. So, so the book is really exploring the idea, exploring the the possibilities of imitation, which we've relegated to 
you know, a special hell uh, because <laughs> we have been taught that it is really a very weak procedure. But in fact, a lot of historic, architectural historic um, discoveries are really based on imitation. They're based on, on using something that's been done before and doing it in a different way. Um, and in the case of the book, um, I'm looking at different processes of imitation um, and, and imitation of form, but with materials that you don't associate to that particular form, for example, um, or, or using traditional materials to build starkly abstract modern forms, that's another category, or straight up duplication uh, or repetition of the form that exists, but just doing it again. So these are, in the book, um, the buildings I look at uh, are contemporary buildings. And so since this is really a taboo procedure, the architects who engage in these procedures in the modern buildings that I've talked about are doing it as a dare, as a provocation. So they're very aware of the fact that it's not supposed to be okay, but they're deciding that it is okay. And so they're exploring this transgressive procedure uh, in a very conscious way, which makes these works, you know, very interesting. It's not that they're doing what everybody else has done yesterday, but, but they're doing something new that looks like it is something old. So it's, it's a very complex um, kind of uh, process and procedure, and, and it's very rich um, because the architects really um, are very um, conscious of, of what they're doing. They're also very conscious, most of them, if not all of them, uh, of the artistic context in which their work can be seen. Uh, for example, I mean, the, the first, the beginning of the book goes through um, some historical examples. For example, you know, think of Castaran architecture, Castaran buildings, for example, in New York City or right. in St. Louis or, or in San Francisco. Um, these Castaran architecture uses uh, Castan buildings use historical forms and then duplicate them at infinitum because that was the industrial process that it was involved in. And as Philip Johnson is quoted in my book, as he says in, in one of his writings, he says, under the guise of this imitation was discovered modularity. In other words, the repetitive process, the repeti repetition of a construction module which became one of the foundational, you know, uh, devices of, of modern architecture. Think of curtain walls. Uh, right. So, so, so under the guise of imitation, you know, a very new thing was 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 coming up, and this is often what happens. And so, I suspect a lot of the architects who are engaging these procedures now and architects in the book are perfectly aware of conceptual art. They're perfectly aware of, you know, uh, the double Elvis by, by Andy Warhol. Uh, mm -hmm. So 
it's, it's a very rich sort of subject, which architects until now have neglected to, to, to engage in. Um, but I think that it looks like the tide is turning. So for the long answer to your question. Uh, <laughs> no, great answer. And so, you know, the book is divi I've divided in a very clear manner, in my opinion. And so what you just kind of very in depth talked about the first one, the remembering old forms with new materials. Right. And, you know, cast iron, I think, is a perfect example of that. And so kind of moving forward, you know, the next section is the idea of old forms with new materials. And for those listening, the book has plenty of great case studies for each one. But I think one in particular that summarizes this one, and I would love to hear more about it, is kind of the dairy house. Mm, yeah. you know, the chapter discusses that there's this direct, uh, most of us uh, think that there's a direct correlation between kind of archetypal styles and the material. And whereas mm -hmm. this project kind of challenges that a little bit. Right, exactly. This is a, this is a little building um, in Somerset in England, uh, which is an addition <clears throat> to an existing building, which is a stone uh, 19th century house for the dairy, the man who made the, the cheese um, mm -hmm. on the estate. Um, and so the, <clears throat> the, the, the program uh, called for the addition to look undesigned and to not look like an addition. And the architect, Charlotte Skane-Kegling, um, invented this thing, uh, which, is, which looks like a little barn. And, you know, we all think that we know how a barn should be built. It's in general wood mm -hmm. or wood with chicken. But it has a certain, there's a relationship between the material and the form that we imagine. Like if you think, for example, of, of a Gothic church, you think about a building made of stone, you right. know, with flying buttresses and all, all that stuff. And if you think of a barn in general, you think of, of a wood barn, like the tobacco barns in Connecticut, for example. So remembering that the title of the book is Material Transfers, Metaphor, Craft, and Place, in contemporary architecture. This is a perfect example because here's the metaphor, here's the, the memory of the barn, but it's not built entirely out of wood because the first time she came to the site, she saw uh, wood planks, wood timber planks that were drying on the estate. And in order to make, to keep them drying well, they were separated by little wood blocks. And she thought that was a really wonderful thing. And she decided to use that as her idea to build this new building. And so the walls of, the, of this addition are made of timber boards are about like maybe four inches, right. four inches high, four inches square. Um, and those are separated by horizontal layers of glass. Uh, the boards are rough on the outside as they were uh, in, the, in the drying model and they are playing smooth on the inside and, and so is the glass. It's rough on the outside and it's smooth on the inside. And so these walls that in a barn you think of as pretty unporous have become porous to light, both light coming in and light going out in the evening. Um, so this is a completely reinvented form and again, going back to the title, metaphor, craft, and place. So there's, there's a metaphor, there's craft, because 
you know, in, in the sort of, in the idea, the typical idea of modern architecture, the model, buildings tended to refer to industry. You know, things were going to be prefabricated, they're going to be industrialized, they're going to be precise. Um, but here, even though the glass comes from Pilkington and is a highly technological product and a highly industrial product, it is really recaptured because it's made by, it's assembled by hand. And so the reference of this whole design is really craft, is making by hand. It's the, it's the labor of making something. And of course, place, the place in the title is the wood comes from the place, you know, and mm -hmm. so the, the, the barn reference, because this is an agricultural estate, is of, of course a reference to place, but the wood comes from the place. Um, and, and then it's made, you know, in place. So I think what, what interests me in these procedures, and in particular in this building, and in all the other buildings um, in the book, are really referring to the place where they are. And so what interests me in these processes is that I think they have something to offer uh, to historic preservation and to architects who try to make buildings which are not, you know, which do not use a sort of a full contextualism, but really refer to the place where they are in a very profound way, which I think this building does. Um, not through a sort of a surface imitation, um, which is often what's, what's done in, in, in sort of landmark areas, but through a really profound kind of connection to, you know, the way place lives, the life of the place, the, the, the fact that people on an agricultural estate, um, you know, work with their hands. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think, so this is, this is one of the ideas of the book that, that it, you know, we can re-inject uh, the notion of, of place, location, locale, and we can also re-inject in architecture, um, you know, manufacturing, making by hand, manufacturing. Uh, and so that's the hope. Great. And like I said, you know, anyone listening, I hope they, at least, they look that up while we talk about it. And so, you know, that's a great explanation for the idea of, you know, old forms using new materials. Now to kind of go to the other end of the spectrum, you know, there's a discussion on new forms, but using old materials. The idea of starting with kind of an abstract modern form, but using a more tra traditional material. Right. And, you know, one project that stuck out to me in particular in the book was the Wadden Sea Center. And, you know, anyone who looks that up might have the same reaction I did in that it's, you know, it's a nice looking, but it's a kind of monolithic building. But then an examination, you realize it's made out of sand and mud. And I think it's actually the largest sand structure in the world or something like that. No, it's thatch. It's made of thatch. Thatch. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, very impressive, the idea of taking something that I read as a very monolithic modern building, but it's being built out of one of the oldest building materials out there. Yes. No, it's, oh, it's a very beautiful building. And it is, it's... It's at the edge of, uh, um, you know, of the world uh, site. It's it's the Vaden Sea. It's in uh, it's in Denmark. It's it's a very very flat 
um, area. So the, the sea comes in and goes out, you know, kilometers. And mm -hmm. so when it goes out, it leaves an incredible wealth of living things. There's birds, there's oysters, there's all these things. But this is a, this is a visitor center. Um, and it's a very, very long, as you say, very long, yes. very abstract form, very sharp in the edges of the mm -hmm. E. And it's made of thatch. Um, and of course, you know, thatch in Denmark uh, and in Northern Europe is a, is a traditional building material as, as these are sea countries. And they have a lot of, of grasses at the edge of the sea. So it's a natural material for them to build. But in general, um, thatch is used for roofs. Uh, in this case, Dalton Mandrup, the architect, uses it for the roof, for the eaves, for the walls. Um, so it's, it's, when you look at it from afar, it's, you're right, a very monolithic building. It's almost like a, you know, um, sort of out of this world kind of building. Um, <laughs> But when you get close to it, it's a very tactile building because the walls are, when you walk under the eaves, which are very broad, you see the ends of all these little pieces of grass and it has a certain right. smell and it has a certain sound. Uh, and here again, you know, the grass is from the place. Uh, and, and, and the reference is also to traditional architecture of the place, except it's not, it's not really... It's, it's, it's not a formal copy. It's just using the material, the traditional materials right. to build this, this modern form. So there's this recombination of, of expectations and delivery. Like the modern form is not built with modern materials. It's built with traditional materials. And so it bridges again this, this sort of uh, chasm. Uh, it's, it's an incredible building. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I personally, when I, I wanted to be involved in the construction of that project because the first thing you think of is concrete for something like that. And I have to be honest, as a practicing architect, my first thought is, how did they get such sharp concrete corners? Yes. Well, it turns out they didn't. They used a, an older material, but somehow did something that a newer material doesn't seem to do as well. Right, exactly. And, and, and the other thing that's really, you know, interesting about a number of these buildings is that they're not, their appearance is not static, uh, like the dairy, mm -hmm. you know, when they first installed, built it, the wood was fresh and, it, and it, it's now, you know, it's, the wood is now dark. Um, right. And, but it's still beautiful. Um, and the thatch is the same thing, you know, when it was just finished, it was like, you know, bright yellow, it was like <laughs> fresh straw. But it's, it's now oxidized to a sort of a light, mm -hmm grayish brown so the buildings go on living and they're going to have to maintain this thatch and they're going to have to replace it in time so so the buildings have a sort of uh, organic existence which continues to involve the people that make them right and so uh, something you mentioned i think is good trend you had mentioned that whether it's the use of a new material on an old form or an old material in a new form none of these are kind of direct copies, which is sort of a, a, you know, a bad word in the architectural world. And right. so you close the book with this idea of mimesis. And so 
I, I, I was, I hope you could uh, maybe elaborate on that concept for us a little more, and in particular, how it plays into your overall theme of, you know, the use of material transfers. Well, this, this, I have trouble with mimesis. I don't know if we should pronounce mimesis or mimesis, but I, I don't know. <laughs> let's call it imitation. So the, um, the last chapter is mimesis, and the subtitle of it is in defense of imitation. Right. Um, and this is, this is a, a chapter where I look at uh, cases where the architects have actually duplicated something in, mm -hmm. in some other way. So one of the buildings is in the north of France, in Dunkirk, uh, where the architects, like Aton Vassal, um, were asked to take a concrete um, you know, storage, where, a huge concrete warehouse um, in the harbor um, and adaptively reuse it for art purposes, you know, for storage of art and, and art events mm -hmm. and exhibitions. Um, and they looked at it and they said to themselves, um, this was a competition, uh, they said to themselves, this is way too beautiful for us to do what they want us to do with it. You know, it's like once you start stuffing uses in this magnificent open space, it's just going to die. So they decided to leave it alone and build a copy of it, literally, in terms of, um, in terms of the form, the size, the shape, it's the same. But in a, in a much lighter, much different material, it's a, it's a polycarbonate mm -hmm. uh, material, uh, which has an airspace in between to, um, to make it insulated. Right. Um, and so the building, you know, the original building, which is fairly opaque, is now duplicated. Its form is duplicated, but it's become porous to light. And so the two things refer to each other, and they make each other valuable because the new building is kind of cheap. Uh, so you love the old building for its substance and its weight. But the old building is somewhat opaque, so you love the new building because it has this sort of cheerful openness. So they kind of contribute to each other in a very interesting way. And you still have the old building and its drama inside. So um, I think it's a very successful project. Uh, and another project which I think is amazing uh, is, is in Paris and it's an apartment building. Uh, where the architects, um, Chartier Corbasson, uh, so this is a street in the working class um, area of Paris, um, where there was a missing, you know, there's a, a, a piece of property that was just unbuilt. Um, and left and right of it are, you know, typical Haussmann era buildings, you know, limestone, um, slate roofs or, or tin roofs uh, with the shape and the heights and the detailing that we know. And so the street has a certain character which the architects wanted to maintain. When I interviewed them, they talked always about continuities, that they wanted to reinforce continuities. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, they, they neither had the budget nor, nor the intention of building a Haussmann building. And so what they did is that they um, took a photograph of, building of the building next door and um, reproduced this photograph in some way uh, on a cladding for the new building. 
So the cladding is a material which is called Trespa, uh, which mm -hmm. is very cheap uh, wood, <laughs> <laughs> wood, wood agglomerate material. It's, it's used to make road signs. So I'm, uh, I'm very familiar with Trespa. It's great. projects. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and they got interested in Trespa because they could actually, I'm going to use the word print. It's not really printed. They could reproduce this, the pixels of the photograph mm -hmm. in, this, in this material by drilling it in two different ways. They could just drill the surface and expose the black core of the material. So they have this black pixel, which is not through the material. Or they could just drill through the material and mm -hmm. then have, uh, admit light. And so what's interesting is that you have this image of the old building applied to the new building uh, and then uh, some parts, you know, some big parts of this facade open to, to you know, as shutters to mm -hmm. make daylight into the new building, which is just inside this cladding, which is a dumb modern apartment building as, as, they've, got, as they've done all over Europe, which is, you know, floor-to-ceiling uh, balconies with glass and floor-to-ceiling sliding glass. So Juliet balconies, maybe two foot, two foot deep or three foot deep. And then, and then the wall inside. And so the shutters on this cladding, which open, are not in the same dimension or in the same place as the windows in the source image. So there's a dialogue between the scale of the modern apartment building inside, which is reflected, reflected in the side of the, in the dimension of the shutters, um, and its non-conformance to the, the image that they're printed on. It's a very, very rich and very sophisticated project. And it's really based on tweaking this idea of, of imitation. The building next door is imitated through a photograph. It's reproduced. Um, but then they do a lot with that, and that's that's very interesting. And it's it's you know it's a very rich project. It's as rich, if not richer, than trying to find you know the perfect uh, the perfect detailing or the perfect fenestration pattern, perfect mix of material. There's just one material on the outside of this building. That's the, that's the trespass. Absolutely. And it does seem that there's almost a common theme with at least these projects you've demonstrated. The idea of using, I guess, I'll, a clever use of cladding or material for mimicking. Two, yeah. projects, two that stood out to me, you know, with the Crystal Houses and the Glass Farm. Yeah. Crystal Houses was a beautiful building, but if it, with the material, the, the whole thing that turned it on its head was the idea of using glass bricks instead of regular bricks. Right. You know, in the Glass Farm, same thing, projecting the facade onto a glass building. Not that neither of them were not beautiful buildings on their own, but this unique use of the materials what truly gives them a bit of an edge, in my opinion. Right, exactly. And, and, it, and it also is what makes you, again, aware of the relationship of the material to the form. Right. So, hence the title, Material Transfers. In other words, you have a form, and then you do it with different materials. A glass farm uh, by MVRDV, in Schindel, I'm probably not pronouncing that name right. Uh, <laughs> Sounds right. Uh, in the Netherlands, um, is you know using a traditional uh, farm shape, um, doing it at a different scale, 
to create a building that's the focus that creates a focus in the center of this little town. And so the farm image is reproduced as a as a print on glass. So here again you have this this questioning uh, of the relationship of the form to the materials. I mean, we've, we've been taught in architecture school that there's a necessary relationship between form and material, but mm -hmm. I'm not sure there is. And so, <laughs> and, and so I think that, and you know, one of the historic exa historical examples I give at the, at the beginning of the book is Santa Maria Novella uh, yes. by Alberti, by Alberti which is uh, where he completed the facade of this church. His design is the upper part of the, of the facade of the building. Uh, and basically, he gives us a print of a Roman temple. It's, you know, the, it's too, almost two-dimensional. It's black and white, and it, you know, there's no depth to those columns. You're not going through that center door. It's just an image. And so, and it's cladding. It's not load-bearing masonry. This is this is thin brick cladding <clears throat> on a backup on a thin. I'm sorry, marble cladding on a backup brick wall that already exists. So, so, so form and material sometimes go together in the way they are created, but they don't necessarily go together in their ongoing form in our culture. The forms architectural forms have sort of a life of their own, um, which, which I think is something that's very interesting. I agree. And, you know, after going through how many years of school I did, it's an interesting counterpoint to what I think a lot of us are taught. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> Great. I mean, I we have to grow up about it. I mean, I think that <laughs> the, reason, the reason I'm interested um, in this is, first of all, to, to sort of provoke in a way, but it's also because, you know, artists in the 60s were doing this stuff with great gusto. I mean, Warhol did this, and, you know, in my um, historic examples, I have, um, you know, Viga, Selmans, mm -hmm. uh, uh, or Oldenburg, uh, you know, reproduced everyday objects at a different scale in different materials. I mean, Oldenburg soft fan and Oldenburg's, uh, you know, giant wood plug, which is a production of an everyday object we have in our house, which is electrical plug. And, and he does it at like, you know, a hundred times the scale and in wood. So these, these artists had, had fun and produced really great provocative work based on the idea of reproduction and imitation and duplication, the double Elvis. Uh, and they didn't think that it was kind of lame. They just thought that it was something to be explored and that it could create um, interesting results. Very interesting. And so before we close out, you know, one thing I always like to ask is, since the book's been released, you know, what, what else have you been up to? What other projects are taking up your time? <laughs> well, I'm actually, I'm actually working on another book. Oh, great. Um, which is uh, really a history of, of uh, architectural transformations. I mean, um, you know, again, as an architect, uh, having um, been 
you know, educated um, and read histories of architecture that always privilege the new, always kind of uh, look at works of architecture in history um, for the way in which they preserve something new. For and and looking at architectural histories as sort of a um, you know, a sort of succession of styles. And so you look in the previous period for something that is actually an introduction to the new period. And of course, you know the punchline. Um, so, but in this, you know, a lot of times works which are uh, transformation of earlier buildings like Santa Maria Novella uh, are not fully discussed in terms of their transformative strategies or what, you know, the value of the transformative strategy. They're, they're in general discussed for, for the new thing, um, but not for the new thing in relation to the old thing. So I'm sort of interested in um, sort of looking at the underside or the backside of architectural history and recuperating or regaining, um, uh, you know, recuperating these works for other things that they could teach us, like Santa Maria Novella, or like um, another building by, by Alberti in Rimini, the Tempio Maletestiano, which is in general discussed in terms of its front facade, uh, and the side elevations, which are pretty sensational, get very little discussion. Uh, so I'm interested to, in looking back at all these buildings that we know and seeing what else they can teach us in terms of additive architecture. So that's what I'm working on now. Very interesting. We'll have to talk again at some point about it. Then. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Thank you very much for talking with us today. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Uh, same here. The book is Material Transfers, Metaphor, Craft, and Place in Contemporary Architecture. And for those listening, thank you and have a great day.